This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alexander. Alright, hello, 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 hello. Welcome back to Fans on the Run. Uh, my name is Ethan Alexanian. Again, don't need to say that. You just heard that in the introduction. Yada, yada, yada. I'm running out of things to say in the openings. Again, I'm always open to suggestions. So if you have like a funny joke or a limerick, please email me at fansontherunpodcast at gmail.com. I'm running out of ways to introduce the show. It's what, 40 episodes? Can, can you blame a kid? Can you blame a kid? Yeah. Anyways, uh, I have a feeling you guys are going to be in for a treat today, because we have a wonderful guest today. He's the author of Postcards from Liverpool, Beatles Moments and Memories. Mark Brickley, welcome to Fans on the Run. Ethan, hey, it's great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I'm really looking forward to talking with you, and I hope to, uh, you know, share a whole bunch of stuff from the book and and just have a great time well if, if that's all we do have a great time uh, then it's worth it because that's what the show's about <laughs> so on an unbeatles related note how are you doing today i'm doing great you know i'm 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 talking to you from santa barbara california i'm just a little south I can see the ocean. I live in a condo here, and and it's hot today. It's, it's, I was telling you earlier, it's 88 degrees inside my condo. I got my fan going and and all the windows open. Hold on, I'm just for the sake of clarity because fans on the run is the podcast of clarity. 88 Fahrenheit. I'm googling as we speak. Okay, so that's that's 31. That's that's decent. That's yeah. And it's yeah. like, okay, so it's it's about 50 here. I, I just calculated oh, okay. back again, Celsius to Fahrenheit. Ah, okay. Well, that's good. I wish it was 50 here. Yeah. You know, I, I was I was raised in Minnesota. So, you know, I, I, I think it was like 30 below zero when I was born. And so, you know, I, I like the cold weather personally, at least a lot colder than it is right now. Finally, someone else who actually likes the cold. People people uh, yeah. treat me like I'm a fucking vampire when I say, you know, <laughs> I actually like it when it's cold out. I it's, do too, you know. Yeah. It's uh, winter is my favorite season because it's cold and it's dark. I I don't yeah. like it when it's I don't like it when it's bright out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that that's when the bad stuff happens. <laughs> it's yeah, easier to be a night owl in the winter because it's it's just dark yeah i hear you yeah I, I i wait for the night now it's been so warm i uh kind of try to stay in the shade as much as i can with this hot weather here on the west coast but it's supposed to break here next week so i'm, I'm looking forward to that well you're, you're making me very envious right now because uh with all this <laughs> pandemic stuff my family kind of has this pattern on of going to California every five years for a trip. And so this would have been the year we go back to California and we're not there because of this fucking pandemic. I'll tell you, there's a lot of great stuff to see is, you know, you roll into Los Angeles and go to the Grammy museum. What a great, you know, music experience that is and there are just a lot of great concert venues uh, in, in Los Angeles and up, up 
my way, there's there's a lot of live music and and uh, so the music scene is you know kind of I was always been centered around Los Angeles all the, with all the great record companies uh, mm-hmm. uh, headquartered there. So you know from the '60s on, LA's kind of been the place to to hang out at the Troubadour or the well, Ash Grove. You know, there's a big uh, record company presence when one of the like iconic buildings in your city is a record company's headquarters with the the Capitol Records Tower. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's still a great landmark, and of course, you know, all the Beatles um, uh, have their Walk of Fame uh, stars and their footprints and their fingerprints right in front of the Capitol Records building. I I didn't get a chance to see that, but now I really want to, because now I actually know what I'm looking for going back. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, I, luckily enough, uh, when I was there last, uh, Amoeba Records was still at its, you know, iconic location. So I, I got to go to the, the really big one before they got kicked out and they're building a condo there. Yeah, I, I, I hear that. I haven't been down to the Amoeba Records store myself for a year or so and I, I guess they are redeveloping that and amoeba records is is moving a bit but what an incredible store that was actually uh, paul mccartney did a uh, a little mini concert at amoeba records uh and um you that can he actually, did. Uh, yeah you can actually get that that's a, that's that's available it was, it was reissued just last year as a as a double lp yeah yeah, I haven't I haven't heard that yet. I'd like to do that. I'd like to hear that 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 set that he did. But I I was really envious. I wonder how many how long the line was to get into Amoeba Records that day. Could you even imagine? <laughs> well, you know, I heard uh, I I went down um, uh, in 2012 when Paul when I heard Paul McCartney was going to get his star on the Walk of Fame, and um, I, I left. Santa Barbara, which is about 90 miles north of the Capitol Records building in Los Angeles, where the ceremony was going to take place. So I got there about 6.30, 6.45, and there were already 200 people in line uh, waiting to, you know, they, they, they kept people from actually going to the locate right near the location. But so we, we that, that, that line grew to 2,000 people strong by the time uh, the 2, 2 p.m. ceremony took place. And I got some good photographs that are in the in my book, um, uh, and uh, I kind of tell that tale about uh, being there. And actually, that was one of the kind of initial Beatles experiences that I had. I was a music writer here um, for several years uh, before I even started contemplating writing a book about the Beatles. And... and, and uh, that was a, one of the experiences I had, uh, uh, and it was great finally to get. So I had I took some good photographs that day, and was lucky to to get close enough to do that. And uh, hear Paul. He was introduced by Neil Young, and uh, his new wife Nancy Chevelle was there. His son was there, uh, James McCartney. Uh, Herbie Hancock was there. There were a lot of luminaries, uh, music luminaries in the audience. Jeff Lynn of oh. ELO was in the audience. I love Jeff Lynn. Yeah, I guess, I guess he just got um, uh, his MBE from the from the Queen. So um, he's been honored by the Royals for his contributions to music in England, which is, I think, long overdue. First time it can be said that a member of the Move has received honors from the Queen. 
<laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, probably probably ELO was uh, the the thing that really really uh, moved that along. But uh, you're but right. You're right. Yeah, better believe it. Hey, um, so yeah, so the just to kind of go move forward a little bit. So I I I, pu- I publish about a hundred articles, more than a hundred articles before I even got you know the idea to really. Um, go forward with a book about the Beatles. I wrote about, I've written about everything, classical music, jazz, uh, um, 60s rock. Um, I had a big piece on Michael Jackson that, that uh, a lot of people read. And and um, and I was writing for magazines and in, this, in, in Southern California here. And then um, I had some other Beatles experiences. I got a chance to, I was invited to a press conference uh, that Ringo Starr had uh, for his memorabilia collection, the first time they showed it at the Grammy Museum, this was in 2013, and I was able to take some pictures of Ringo, and I got a chance to ask him a question, which was kind of fun. And uh, uh, so uh, then I heard a rumor, Nate, uh, Ethan. Uh, I can tell you almost called me Nathan. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't say that. <laughs> I. It, um. I. Uh, I heard a rumor that. In Ojai, California, there was a mu- early mu- a, mu- a musician with ties to the Beatles. And I said, well, who the heck could that be here? I've been writing about music. You know, what Ojai's about um, all 30 miles from where I live. And I said, how could I miss that, that there's someone associated with the Beatles? And they said, well, yeah, he's been living there for like 25 years. And he's an early Apple Records um, recording artist. So uh, I went up to Ojai and I walked around. I talked with different shop owners. They have a big promenade. I walked up and down. I finally went into an English tea shop. And there were, the proprietor there was a really nice woman. And she said, oh, yes, I think the uh, person you're thinking of is Jackie Lomax. No and, way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, I think that's who I'm thinking of. And uh, there, the, the, uh, there was an Englishman in the tea shop that I went into, and he said, oh, I know Jackie. Uh, give me your number, and I'll have Jackie bring you up. And uh, sure enough, two weeks later, I was sitting in Jackie Lomax, who was, you know, uh, whose record uh, uh, was first album was produced by George Harrison, and George Harrison gave him, of course, the, his uh, single Sour Milk Sea. Uh, which had Eric Clapton on it, Nicky Hopkins, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr. What a great uh, album that is, though. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember the title. It's it's called, like, Is This What You Really Want? Exactly. Yeah. You, you have a, Ethan, you have a great memory. Well, I, I have the record. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Yeah, yeah. so... So, you know, uh, Jackie told me some great stories and uh, sitting in his Ojai bungalow um, with, um, you know, tube amps kind of strewn around, lots of guitar cases and, you know, Beatles memorabilia posters and stuff. He had um, pictures taken of him by Astrid Kirchner. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, because if I'm not, I'll be, everyone will be cringing, but I think that's correct. Uh, a German name. Uh, and of course, she took all the early pictures of the Beatles and was a great friend of theirs. 
um, and uh, was going to marry Stuart Sutcliffe, the Beatles' early bassist. And, uh, and of course, that engagement um, uh, was, was short-lived because he died of a brain hemorrhage um, uh, not too long after he left the Beatles and decided to stay in Hamburg uh, and, um, and hang out with and pursue his 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 painting um and uh and you know was going to get married to to astrid but um anyway uh he told me a story he said that after stuart sutcliffe um and astrid you know were separated because of um sutcliffe dying in, in england of this brain hemorrhage uh, he took up with Astrid and had a had a fling with her, and he said, "No one knows that, but uh, uh, you know, I think I can tell the story now because uh, uh, pictures that Astrid took of of Jackie were all over his walls and in his in his ha- in his home there in Ohio. But um, you know, uh, I, so anyway, Jackie was a great you know. I basically he 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 started he 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 had a, a Guinness Stout. I turned on the tape recorder and I just heard one story after another, and and that's one of the chapters in my book. It's one of the, it's one of the big long interviews that I have is with Jackie Lomax. Uh, I I can only imagine just sitting in Jackie Lomax's living room. I'll tell you, you know, I got some pictures of him too, some some good pictures. Uh, his thing, he had really long fingers, and you know, he told me the story of how he um, he, he was in a band in. Um, Wallasey, which is right across the River Mercy uh, from Liverpool. Uh, I don't know. Have you ever, have you had a chance to get to Liverpool yet, Ethan? I have. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about, and um, you know you can take the ferry uh, yeah. right across the River Mercy. And I mean, sure, if you're a member of Jerry and the Pacemakers. No, no, anybody can do that. <laughs> anyway. I did that, and I think everybody should. It's not. It's not really much of a much of a river crossing because it's it takes about three minutes. But um, anyway, um, yeah, that's where Jackie was from, and you know, uh, shows you how close they were to the Liverpool scene. And and uh, he, he he got into the the Undertakers uh, because they did, their bass player was picking fights. Jackie said of of. Um, with the audience and you know that that that, that the audiences were rough back then in, in in the late 50s and early 60s i mean a lot of fight there were a lot of fights the teddy boy types we know that uh, you know after uh, uh, ringo Starr joined the beatles that uh, george harrison was headbutted at the cavern and, and in the first um, you know publicity photos that uh, the beat that were taken of the beatles at at uh, emi studios in london uh, you can see George's shiner. <laughs> He's got a black eye. So the, the audience was rough. So anyway, this guy, evidently, Jackie said, this bass player that the Undertakers had, you know, was losing them gigs, as he liked to say. I remember him saying saying it that way. And he said, so they they said, uh, you know, why don't you, you know, Jackie didn't have a bass guitar, but the band did. So he paid it off, uh, evidently. Uh, and he, uh, he kind of had a, a soul, soulful blues uh, sound. He said he wanted to try to sound as black as he could, <laughs> which I thought was kind of hilarious. But um, you know, uh, that was his style of singing. Was, he was he had a, a real, a real soulful voice. And and uh, yeah, the Beatles played um, 
uh, on the same stage with the undertakers at the cavern and excuse me, not on the same stage but they but they they uh undertakers played at the cavern you know and, and on the same shows the beatles were on and and then they they followed the beatles to humber and uh played uh in in germany when the beatles were there too so uh jackie jackie unfortunately was ill and he didn't tell me about it during our interview and he went uh back for a trip he went uh, the, about six months later four to six months later i did two articles on him one for ojai quarterly magazine and then one for um a newspaper a local newspaper um and um and then i i published a much longer interview in my book um, postcards from liverpool but um uh jackie was ill and I, he didn't tell me about it he was a little grumpy i i i picked up on that but he had cancer and he died uh, just about five or six months after i interviewed him so uh and he and on his trip back to uh, wallacey um and i'm glad he got back to northern england and that's that's where he passed yeah well I, I'm, I'm glad you got the chance to interview him oh yeah so you know I, just to very briefly so you know after these experience i said hey you know maybe i have a book here and um so the very first article that i had done i wanted to add something to the beatles um written history and i'd done some research this was in 2012 2011 12 uh and um and i said you know i'd like to write about um there wasn't a lot of information about the, the backstory to the how the beatles became re recording artists that i that i could find and and i said well i'd like to really do some research and find out you know how 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 love me do and ps i love you and ask me why and all those early songs uh where they came from uh how the beatles um uh transitioned from a cover band uh for the first six years of their existence they were really a cover band and then and uh but breaking through and and making the the decision to insist that one of their original songs uh, which was you know um uh, not something that george martin their producer wanted to do he wanted them to record a song by uh you know um mitch murray called how do you do it yeah exactly so you know um but you know their insistence uh uh ins insistence that you know they, they they didn't they couldn't go back to liverpool uh having their first record be someone else's cover they said to martin well you know there were other influences that were going on there i, I mean didn't stop jerry and the pacemakers yeah oh yeah i mean yeah jerry and the pacemakers got that song uh, jerry marsden who was their lead singer uh and uh you know mitch murray was very happy that his song became a number one hit uh you know in in england but um you know, the Beatles, uh, um, I think, showed a lot of courage. And, you know, I it's really was a, 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 an earth-shaking decision on their part because uh, it really, um, uh, by challenging the convention at that time, which was to use other songwriters' material, the Beatles struck out on their own and their destiny, uh, you know, became... Um, became real and uh you know one song followed another after that and and lennon mccartney's you know genius was able to be revealed well you have a lot of beatles stories but i want to ask you about your beatles story 
I want to go right back to the beginning. How did you first discover the Beatles? <laughs> well, that's interesting you say that. You know, uh, I first saw the Beatles on my little black and white television, like every, like me and 71 million other people across the U.S. Uh, in 1964 when they appeared on the Ed Sullivan show that February. And, and um, you know, I would think I was 12. I'm 12, you know, probably 12 years old. And, you know, I mean, I was just transfixed because, you know, I mean, television was just an amazing thing for me just to be able to watch yeah. back then. I mean, I, I was just astounded by it at that age. But, you know, being able to see the Beatles perform on Ed Sullivan was, you know, was 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 truly amazing. And to have that memory, um, you know, throughout my teens, um, the Beatles never performed uh, in Santa Barbara. Um, I was. And when, as I got a little older, I, um, you know, started going to rock shows um, uh, here locally, and I saw Cream, and I saw the Jefferson Airplane, and Jimmy Hendrix. Oh yeah, sure did. He, I stood right in front of uh, Eric Clapton and Ginger Baker and, and um, Jack Bruce uh, at Earl Warren Showgrounds in in 1967 or 68 when they came. Yeah, they, they weren't together very long, um, but uh, that was quite a quite a band. Oh, quite a that's an understatement. <laughs> Ginger Baker was a maniac. I mean, I couldn't believe anybody could play drums like that. Heck, he had to have been high, high, high. You know, he, he was just so outrageous. It was amazing. Have you seen the documentary uh, Beware Mr. Baker? You know, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, you've got to. It, it's yeah i've heard about it it is wonderful my my friend and i watched that together and we were just howling with laughter because the man is just abs or he was absolutely crazy that's available on netflix right well it's i, I probably shouldn't say this but it's also available for free on youtube oh thank you I, i'll watch it <laughs> yeah but you didn't hear it from me and neither did any of you out there that's right. Don't shoot the messenger. Right. <laughs> so anyway, you know, uh, just to, uh, to, yeah, I, I started seeing rock shows, and I the Love and Spoonful came through, and I saw Jimi Hendrix, as I mentioned to you, and Buffalo Springfield, and all those great, you know, um, mid '60s bands that were were touring, and I was Here, 16. Here's the important question. Yeah. Did you see the Birds? You know, I didn't see the birds um but i've i've seen um chris hillman and david crosby crosby uh perform um individually uh, i never had a chance to actually hear the birds live but they're one of my favorite bands i i just had to ask because i've been on a birds kick lately oh sure one of the records that i picked up the other day when i was in toronto was a nice copy of uh younger than yesterday Oh, great, great track. Well, you know, the, the, the birds really, the Beatles were their template. And, you know, Roger McGuinn, you know, uh, got got a 12-string Rickenbacker um, after he heard George playing it and, and uh, saw him live. And, you know, um, so, you know, the birds were, were, were really um, on that, with their harmonies, too. I mean, they, they, they were... They had some really incredible singers in that in that group, um, and uh, 
you know, their their covers kind of what is it's, it's what made them stand out. All their Dylan, all the early Dylan stuff that they covered, and uh, so I yeah I love the Birds. So I want to ask what what was the first Beatle record that you remember owning? Uh, I probably got um, you know I was looking back and you know I have all the sing capital singles you know here on the West Coast I don't you know maybe there were imports. Uh, that were available in other parts of the countries, but you know, uh, other part of the country. But I think we had Sam Goody and we had Tower Records out here when I was growing up, and um, uh, so I I I bought forty fives because that's what I could afford. I didn't. I, I remember the first album I got was Rubber Soul, but uh, before that, I collected forty fives because that you know, uh, and I think I had. Um, you know, I think sure I had I want to hold your hand and and um, so that that that's probably the first song I I can remember collecting by the Beatles. Maybe she loves you. Uh, it's possible. But I I also you know as I collected their singles, uh, Day Tripper is one that that I I still have actually, our original Capitol Records single. Oh man, it's I I I also love collecting singles, especially in this day and age where records are starting to get a little expensive i feel like singles are like the last frontier where you can actually still find deals well yeah that's true you know and and i haven't bought them yet but all of the beatles singles are available you know um they have um the 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 the, the sleeves are um you know, uh, from different countries where they were issued. So they're not the, actually the original sleeves that they came in, say, on Parlophone Records, uh, you know, from the UK. But still, you know, it's a heavier grain um, uh, vinyl. Yeah. So the sound reproduction is really good. But I, I've been thinking about getting all the Beatles singles just as a treat. Maybe this Christmas I'll do that. Well, I, I, I bought that box last year, and it's it sounds fantastic. I, I'd recommend I, I've it. I've heard that. Oh, that's great. It's well, all know, in, analog. In, <laughs> exactly. You know, in, in my book, um, uh, Postcards from Liverpool, I um, I have a chapter called Here, There, and Everything Beatles. And the book originally came out in 2017. It took me about four and a half years to write. Uh, and then um, it was the book, the cover was, uh, um, and I wish I could show it to everybody. It's an, it's an orange cover with... Um, a series of stamps, uh, but the front stamp is the prominent one. It's the Beatles walking across the um, uh, crosswalk in, in at, at Abbey Road, uh, and then it's it's so it's, it's orange with kind of a uh, kind of a, a reddish um, a, a postcards from Liverpool, Liverpool below it. And Explain to the folks at home what Abbey Road is. <laughs> Abbey Road. Well, you know. Um, Abbey Road was uh, uh, probably called Abbey Road because there was an, an English abbey nearby. I mean, if you go way back, you know, I mean, that's where the that's where the word abbey comes from. And, uh, you know, it was it was, uh, it, you know, that probably turned into a from a cow path in the 1400s or 1500s into a road which became Abbey Road, which goes right by EMI Studios. Yeah, my studios were were uh, where Parlophone Records was headquartered, and they were a small subsidiary of Electronic Music Industries, is which EMI stands for. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And uh, then, you know, after the Beatles posed for their their great uh, 1968 album, they uh, they changed the name of the studio to Abbey Road Studios. But um, the road, Abbey Road, was was always there and, and goes back hundreds of years. Well, you kind of brought up something. Uh, it's it's one of the things I always find the most interesting, that um, the Beatles were on basically EMI's reject label. It's They, they weren't good enough to uh, be on Columbia, and uh, the head guy at HMV didn't want them. And so they, they stuck them on Parlophone, which was basically just like e- easy listening music and comedy and spoken word stuff. You're absolutely right. You know, uh, George Martin, the great producer, and you know, he, he was he, 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 had, he was doing classical and comedy records. And the Beatles, of course, loved that because they were super into all the comedy that he had recorded. You know, Spike Mulligan and all those kinds of all those with, artists. Like, the goons and stuff. The goons, yeah, and, and that's exactly the kind of humor the Beatles loved, John Lennon especially. Um, that's why they got um, Richard Lester to do A Hard Day's Night, because exactly. he did a yeah, running, jumping, and that. standing still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, uh, uh, George Martin had, had never um, had never recorded a rock band before, never produced a rock rock record before. He was looking around, you know, for other for other groups, too, when he... when uh, you know, uh, Brian Epstein through his Epstein had some pull because you know his record store um, in um, in Liverpool and his family kind of business connections. Uh, you know, he he was selling a lot of records up there, and they and so he 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 got uh, some attention there. And Dick James and and um, you know through his contacts uh, was introduced to. Um, to George Martin, and and Martin came up to to see the Beatles perform uh, before he signed him uh, in, at the Cavern, and um, you know uh, he didn't guarantee him much of anything. I mean, their first you know contract, I mean, it was contingent on a, a, a demo session when they came in to do "Love Me Do" and "Ask Me Why" and an early slower version of "Please Please Me," and and then "How Do You Do It" was was also. Uh, the the song that, of course, Martin wanted them to record. But, you know, um, uh, you're right that um, uh, Parlophone Records uh, had never been a a rock uh, label before the Beatles. And funny enough, because of the Beatles, Parlophone's the only one out of the three labels I mentioned that still exists. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. HMV doesn't (laughs) exist, and... They EMI even when they were around didn't even own the rights to the Columbia name anymore. <laughs> well, it's interesting, you know the the whole Columbia uh, the whole um, EMI um, Capital Records connection, because you know EMI owned Capital Records, but they the Capital Records had discretion to. Um, you know, uh, put out whatever records they wanted to, and they, they rejected the Beatles several times. Were offered offered the in in uh, in sixty two sixty three were offered the Beatles several times, and of course they had to go to Tolly Records and BJ Records to have Swan. their uh, Swan Records. Yeah, these little subsidiaries from the Midwest, Chicago area. Well, here's you know, here's um, where I'll get smug with my national pride. Capital Records yes. in Canada was smart enough 
not just getting the Beatles before everyone else did. Name, like, any other big band of the British invasion that had something to do with EMI, and Capitol Records of Canada snatched them up right away. So that's why when you look at yeah. uh, the Canadian versus American albums, you know, all the, the Hollies stuff, Manfred Mann, yeah. Uh, yeah. who else? The Yardbirds, they're all on Capitol here. Jerry and the Peacemakers. Yeah. yeah. Dave, well, you know, Dave Dexter Richard... Jr. must have been fucking kicking himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, um, uh, Cliff Richard had, had uh, kind of preceded the Beatles to the States and um, hadn't, hadn't uh, really hit over here. So there was a lot of um, trepidation about, of course, the Capitol Records had the Beach Boys at that time, and they were just burning up the charts with... 409 and you know in my room and uh surf and safari and all that kind of stuff and i love that music uh but that was the really you know centered in los angeles that was their big band at the time but i so i can understand them but you know finally you know um uh they came to their senses and they put a lot of money into promoting the beatles first uh record i want to hold your hand um, and more money than they ever put into another band. They they knew it was the Beatles were going to be big in, in in the U.S. and uh, they pulled out all the stop promotional stops to make that record happen uh, and, and climb the charts. It went from in New York City it went from thirty five to one in one week. So uh, you know <laughs> there was a lot of airplay. Well, it, it takes a very special band to take up at their at basically the start of their career, the top five spots on the Billboard charts. Absolutely, you know, and, and that's incredible. April 5th, 1964, number one, Can't Buy Me Love, followed by Twist and Shout, She Loves You, I Want to Hold Your Hand, and Please Please Me. And, and, and in addition to that, there were four, other, four or five other Beatles songs on the, on the Billboard Hot 100 uh chart uh, at the same time so if if my memory serves me correct the beatles were so hot even an imported single from canada all my loving cracked the top 50 <laughs> yeah again capital records must have been kicking themselves because you know three out of those five singles in the top five were from those weird reject labels out of chicago and stuff Incredible. And they made a lot of money off the Beatles during that transition period. You know, finally, Capitol Records went to court and um, they were able to get the, um, uh, the rights back from um, uh, these labels we talked about in the Midwest. And uh, from then on, they were, you know, all the compilation Beatles stuff came out on Capitol Records. Uh, they didn't follow the sequence that Parlophone put the Beatles out, but uh, until 1967 when uh, when um, Sgt. Pepper came out. But yeah, I mean, Capitol made a gigantic mistake and they played catch up for a while, but, but they were so big and EMI was so big that they were able to prevail. So I want to ask, what, what do the Beatles mean to you? Uh, well... I'd like to ask the same question of you. I'll tell you just briefly that, you know, um, positivity, um, joy, uh, you know, 
the the beauty of of, uh, of their harmonies um if if the the, the power of their music uh it's it's unexpected joy when you hear Lennon McCartney singing and and you know um a good example of that is the way they sang in parallel thirds and you know with with uh, the song this boy and George Harrison uh, such a such a great great example of the, the power of their harmonies I mean it just lifts you up uh and so that's what I I'm a musician myself and that's what I really wanted to communicate in my book uh, postcards from Liverpool is that is that you know there what's the name of the book again postcards from Liverpool <laughs> Beatles moments and memories but that's that's what I really wanted to communicate was the joy that their music has always brought me and still does I mean you know I, I listen to CDs in my car which is the only place really to listen to music these days uh, and I just uh, you know there really isn't there's so much great music that was created in the 60s but the beatles will always be at the top and and they they mean so much person personally to me now because i've got to know so many other people in the beatles community and getting to know you today i mean that's what the beatles music is as well is that it connects people to each other and um that's that's that shared uh, you know, appreciation and, and joy and beauty. And, and, uh, so that's just a little bit of scratching the surface of what, it, what they mean to me, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a deep current in my life. Well, I'll, I'll kind of piggyback off that and ask, why do you think the Beatles still matter today? Uh-huh. Well, um, you know, I think it all comes back to the music and um they they and although it's you know some people say they created a few more cuts uh, a few more tracks at 219 songs they have and you know when, when you look when you listen to their music no almost none of their music sounds the same uh, enough you know they have so many different uh, beginnings and endings uh, so much went into their music uh, so much creative energy uh, and um, certainly, you know, uh, kind of fueling art rock. And I, I, I think that... Um... Actually, you, you mentioned something which I, I kind of want to butt in and say something that I don't think the Beatles get enough credit for. There's a statement that I don't think anyone has ever said. It's like, hey, the Beatles don't get enough credit. Um, <laughs> in an era where, you know, if you had a hit song your next record would sound like that. And then the follow-up record would also sound like oh, yeah. that. The Beatles oh, yeah. were never a victim of that. Never. No. Uh, and and it, it, it's just astounding, the extraordinary um, songwriting ability that they had. You know, they gave away songs, too. I mean, uh, Billy J. Kramer, um, you know, got uh, uh, a number one hit from a song that John gave him in 63. And... Um, Certainly, um, McCartney gave away some of his stuff too. So, uh, it, it just they just had uh, s- s- the riches, uh, you know, uh, the 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 horn of plenty. They they they, they were just a, uh, a a group that comes along maybe once every hundred thousand years. I, I don't know what music will be like, you know, um, many many decades and eons in the future. But I think people will 
always look to the Beatles. Uh, I, you know, they're they're they were truly from another universe. Uh, Do you think the same could be said about like Freddie and the Dreamers? Well, no. Um, you know. Um, Do you and, think people will still be doing the Freddie? A hundred thousand years from no, now. No, no, no. I probably tried to do that when I was 16 years old, but I'm not sure I was any good at it. I think you had to flap your arms and and, 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 and kind of do jumping jacks. It's kind of the jumping jack kind of a thing, wasn't it? So, something like that. It's out of, out of all the Beatles contemporaries in the 60s, I always laugh the most when I read about Freddie and the Dreamers. Because it's like, okay, Capitol Records didn't sign anybody else. They didn't sign Jerry. They didn't sign the Hollies. But they signed the only other group that Dave Dexter Jr. thought was good enough to be on Capitol Records was Freddie and the fucking Dreamers. Well, you know, I'm telling you now, I think that was a number one record. And, um, and Mitch Murray helped write that record, um, uh, Freddie Garrity, who was the lead singer for Freddie and the Dreamers, uh, couldn't finish it, so they called up Mitch Murray, who had a couple of hits with, um, um, you know, previously with the Pacemakers, and he helped them. Uh, he helped write that, r- r- finish that song, that big song that was a number one hit here. Well, I, I know Mitch Murray was also had something to do with uh, Herman's Hermits. Was was he a member? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, the, the Hermits, uh, believe it or not, um, Peter Newton lives right here about 10 miles away from where I live. And I, I, I see him every now and then, and I've, and I've heard him. And, uh, boy, he still has a great voice. He is an entertainer with a capital E. If you ever get a chance to see him and his band tour through Toronto, go. Uh, he is he's incredible. But, no, I don't think I don't think Peter was uh, or Freddie was part of the uh, uh, Newton's band. Um, the hermits, uh, but um, you know um, what a great string of hits the hermits had. I, I I I think I still enjoy their music. Well, they did have some great songs. No milk today, and you know I'm Henry the Eighth. I am. That actually was a song that came from uh, uh, back in 2000. Excuse me, in, in 1909. Uh, uh, ironically enough, uh, that was a, that was a music hall song that uh, was kind of revamped by uh, by uh, uh, the Hermits, and of course that was their number one uh, song here in the U.S. I'm Henry the Eighth. I am a, sung with a Cockney accent. That that was I, I knew about that song long before I knew what Herman's Hermits was. You know, we were in history class, and it's like I'm Henry the Eighth. I am. Okay, I'm going to stop singing before I get, you know... No, 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 keep going. No, before I I get smacked with copyright issues. (laughs) There you go. See, I may think I am... I may think I'm, like, some sort of minor deity, but I'm still afraid of the copyright police, just like everybody else. (laughs) So true. Okay, fine, maybe I think I'm a major deity. Who knows? Can you say God complex? Well, I, um, uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what the hell am I talking about? <laughs> Anyways, so this is where we get really opinionated in the show. Okay. What is sure, your sure. favorite Beatles song? 
Ah, okay. Well, you know, are we talking about early Beatles or late Beatles? Or, I mean, we're just talking about, I mean, I have to, I have to narrow it down to t- one song. Well, if, if you want to break it up by era, you can. Like, favorite early song, favorite middle song, and favorite later song. I'll tell you, you know, um, I'm a George Harrison fan, so you know I I Was really he? liked uh, Sav- <laughs> <laughs> I really liked um, Savoy Truffle and uh, I Need You and If I Needed Somebody. I, those are great songs by Harrison. I, I like those better than some of his more well-known stuff because I probably I've heard that stuff so often. Here Comes the Sun and something and all that. But um, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of of um, Lena, I, I I always liked the song "Good Morning" off of Sgt. Pepper. It's such a bright. I mean, it just gets you going. And Ringo's drumming, where he does that 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 drum that snare roll at the very beginning. You know, oh, what a what a what a wake up that is. Have you ever listened to just the isolated drum tracks from that song? It's incredible, mental. It's- <laughs> If, if I didn't know any better, I'd say Ringo was using like a double kick pedal or something, but it was probably well, just never know. overdubs with Paul on the, the toms like they did on Strawberry Fields. But it, it's... You know, I, lo- I, lo- I, lo- I love McCartney's riff-driven songs. I, I love Day Tripper and, uh, uh, you know, Drive My Car. I mean, they're just, they're just such great, great tracks that you can listen to over and over. Um, but I really, I also like their early stuff. I, I mentioned uh, this boy, and I think that you know you have to. It's really the Beatles harmonies that 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 I think are going to be uh, will 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 keep the band uh, it, 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 the band will endure into the 22nd and 23rd century based on their harmonies and and their and their their early material. I think, but um, you know, um, Lennon. Um, I love his uh, the song because you now that the Moonlight Sonata Beethoven's uh, song the chords that were kind of played backward by Yoko Ono and John constructed because I love those harmonies. Uh, you know she's so heavy. Uh, uh, well, I noticed like two of the songs you've said so far are songs entirely structured around the harmonies. Uh, this boy and because. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, Exactly, and and I, I think that that to me, um, uh, even even you know on the, uh, the, the the some of the covers the Beatles did originally, they did such such a beautiful job on them. Um, so you know, you mentioned the Ronettes. I think that that um, that the covers that they did originally were 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 really beautifully done. And you know, of course, you know you go back to the Beatles' first number, really number one and number two hit, depending on whether or not you know you you believe one one um, chart or another. But please, please me. I mean, the way you know McCartney held that top note for twelve beats, and and John Lennon belted out that verse. I mean, my God. I mean, that just that revolutionized uh, um, you know the the way popular music would play out over the next years. So those are some of my, those are some of my, as I say, I mean, it's just so hard for me to narrow down because I have so many go-to songs of the Beatles. I don't necessarily like the most popular Beatles tracks, but uh, you know, they, they wouldn't be my favorites, but, but uh, I think there are so many rarities that you can look at that uh, people may miss. 
um, I talked with Kid O'Toole about um, uh, a, a song called Not a Second Time. It's on the Beatles' uh, second uh, album uh, with the Beatles. It's on Parlophone. And uh, she wrote about it, I think, or I think in one of her, um, um, you know, um, many uh, newspaper columns or online, some, some online column uh, in terms of her, her rare tracks. But that's an example of uh, one of Lennon's truly great uh, songs, not a second time. Well, it might have also been in her, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give her a plug, her, her fantastic book, uh, Songs We Were Singing. Where, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great book. I really like. I really like that book. The, the, the book that Kit wrote, and she's coming out with an, another one. Uh, it's on. It's on. Uh, uh, I think it's it's structured around uh, fandom, and um, so that should. She, 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 it's going to be released with Ken Womack uh, here. I think in in March, uh, next March. Well, there you go. Hi, Kit. I I know you're listening to this. <laughs> just, just kidding i've already come to accept the fact that no one listens to this show well you never know uh yeah you, you, you'd be surprised you get a lot of fans out there even. yeah it it's almost reaching the double digits now hey well there you go yeah you know <laughs> hey it's like you can you, you can capture toronto and then move uh your fingers across the states there you, you've already mapped out my career yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Well, you touched on... Uh, well, actually, I want to ask the flip side to that last question. What's your least yeah. favorite Beatles song? Why don't we do it in the road and piggies? And I'd probably get a lot of flack for that, but those are the two songs that don't really appeal to me. But, okay, um, I, I get why don't we do it in the road, but piggies? I love piggies. It's okay. It's okay. It's just, I don't know... It's kind of has a musical, kind of an amusing, kind of a, a taste to it. But um, so, you know, you asked me. That's what I. That's that's what I say. I mean, of two hundred and nineteen songs, and, and I, there are only two that I can really quote that don't particularly appeal to me. But um, yeah, I mean, piggies. A lot of people like piggies. Um, um, I, I I guess it's just I I like any song from the sixties with a harpsichord in it. Oh, you're right. Absolutely. I, you know, and. Uh, George Martin did the, um, you know, played that uh, in in the song in my life. He played that harpsichord um, solo. Um, it sounds like a harpsichord, but it's not a harpsichord. It was actually a sped up piano. Well, he, he recorded it at half speed, and they played it back at regular speed, and it sounded like a harpsichord. But I wonder on Piggies if um, if Harrison's playing or if Mark, George Martin's playing. I haven't I haven't researched that. Uh, be- before I, I get back to like a Beatles-centered question, we- we've talked about a couple other groups that aren't the Beatles. I want to ask, what are your top five Desert Island albums of the '60s that aren't the Beatles? <laughs> well, I'm a Crosby, Stills and Nash uh, and Young fan. I think Deja Vu is one of the great albums of the '60s. Uh, I love the Mamas and Papas. Um, you know. Um, they didn't have a lot, a, a big long discography, but their first album was absolutely terrific. I, I play a California, a version of California Dreamin', so I have an affinity for that. And I uh, loved, um, you know, I think they just, they just, those harmonies are just, they just, they just stand out to me. I was a big Jefferson Airplane fan. I love the San Francisco bands. Um, I got a chance to hear them several times, and uh, you know, during their heyday. Um, 
you know, uh, I didn't get, I didn't, wasn't a big Grateful Dead fan, but I really like them now. Um, I really appreciate Jerry Garcia's playing. Uh, what I think is a really underrated uh, one of those San Francisco bands, Moby Grape. I love them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and you know, try to get their first album for under $1,000. It is a rarity. Yeah. It's really collectible. Yeah. Yeah. I love that band too. And, um, you know, a, 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 it's a beautiful day. Another great band with a violin player in, in, in it. Um, you know, um, Joy of Cooking. Um, you know, all those San Francisco bands I loved. Uh, Country Joe and the Fish. I, I got a chance to see them live when I was in my mid teens. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of in the middle of center of my interest. Um, you know, I, I, um, I love the doors too. And, and, uh, had actually had a chance to hear Ray Manzarek, Manzarek, uh, do a solo show at a bookstore. And he played, uh, Riders on the Storm, the, uh, the piano solo to that, the organ, the uh, electric piano solo to that. Uh, and uh, just a, an astounding memory to have. Uh, I, I'm not even a, a keyboard player, but, Every time I listen to Ray Manzarek, I want to take up the organ. <laughs> just I, I, I yeah. want to sit at that Vox Continental organ and just play like him, except I, oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm dumb and I don't have good fingers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I got a feeling that uh, Robbie Creed Krieger and I have, a, I have a little story about the, the Doors drummer. Um, Jim Densmore. Yeah, Jim Densmore. I, I, uh, for two years in a row before this terrible pandemic hit, a, hit us, there was a uh, an event called Doors Day in Los Angeles. And so uh, one of the doors, you know, would show up for one event, a, a little event, just to share with fans and fans would show up. I went down to see uh, Manzarek, um, not Manzarek, no, not Manzarek. It was uh, Robbie, uh, um, John Densmore. Um, there was a uh, two streets that they renamed in the valley um, uh, for you know Morrison Avenue. <laughs> so uh, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and um, so he was down there for the dedication of it. And he and he he he, he read some of uh, Morrison's uh, poetry, and um, uh, you know. It's, extemporaneously sang um, one of their songs. And then I went down, uh, I had tickets to the LA Philharmonic and um, uh, went down to Los Angeles with a friend. And um, we sat, it was Brahms Fifth Symphony. And then there was a drum, uh, some kind of a a drum um, symphonic piece that was a a percussion piece. Uh, And I looked over to sitting right next to the person I was with, uh, and there was John Densmore. And I said, oh, my God, I can't believe it. So at the intermission, I said a quick hello to him and uh, uh, had a chance to chat with him. But uh, that was that was a remarkable Doors experience. And now I'll, I'll kind of divert things back towards uh, the Beatles. What's your favorite Beatles album? The, 
how about album cover and then album? <laughs> no, I don't okay, know. You know it's it's just <laughs> no, no. I, I love rubber. I love the. I've always felt an affinity with the cover, the cover of Rubber Soul. But you know, I mean, there are just so many great tracks on it as well. But um, I'd probably have to say that my my favorite uh, Beatles album is Abbey Road, uh, just because of the the big long um, medley um, that that kind of it's the last sequentially recorded. Uh, song um, uh, album uh, by the Beatles, and and uh, uh, it's that second side of the uh, the first side has of course uh, some wonderful wonderful uh, individual tracks, and every single one is great. But that that medley on the back side of Abbey Road, I think was to me is the pinnacle of of, of, of rock music. Period. And well, I, I I can't say I disagree with you. It's there's something magical about that medley. Yeah, it's, I, I can't even put my finger on it. Why it it hits so deep? Yeah, yeah. It just it, it just draws you in, you know. And um, I got the um, Abbey Road um, um, box set, the new one, the the, the remix by Giles Martin, mm-hmm. and uh, they have the uh, Her Majesty, you know. Uh, in, in in where it's originally was going to be placed and uh boy the 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 i might have, i might have had a little different uh take on it if if her majesty was um you know in its original placement but i'm so glad that it uh it was kind of a forgotten little piece of uh, of tape that they you know that they they stuck on the end of the of the reel and that what is it 17 seconds later what how many seconds is it later uh Ethan, that that it that, that it, it, it clicks in, and I, and it's just such a wonderful way to end it all. Just kind of a that levity and and just that music hall, you know, um, uh, sense of humor that the Beatles, I think, was always um, a part of their music. And again, I'll ask the flip side of that question: What's your least favorite Beatles album? <laughs> Yeah, we're talking about original Parlophone albums or, or Capitol Records albums. I, I, you know, kind of the I try to stay with the with the Parlophone uh, Records albums. Um, I would say let it, let it be, um, probably because you know that that whole recording project was a mess from the very beginning, and um, you know um, there's some great individual tracks on it. Uh, I'm so glad they finally got the very first song. You know. If you go back to 1960, when they were playing, they were playing in Liverpool. There's a set list, and I talk about it in my book, um, that I describe and I list the songs on the set list. It's the very first time the Beatles actually uh, it that it, it, it is documented that they played an original song, and it was uh, one after after 909. And so I'm so glad that that made it on the uh, on the album. Dig a Pony. There, there, there are a lot of great cuts on Let It Be. I, I, but I, if you're asking me, just overall, um, you know, to me, the long winding road. I mean, I, I love the orchestrations that Phil Spector did. I, I, I think, I think that 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 it's a noteworthy album. I also have the Naked album that that Paul McCartney, you know, um, uh, re-recorded. Um, Let It Be Naked. So. You know, and that's 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 okay too. But you know, I grew up listening to uh, the tracks as they were origi- as Phil Spector originally uh, produced them. So, 
you know, um, it's hard for me to, it's really hard for me to pick my least favorite Beatles album because every single Beatles album has, you know, so many gems on it that, and they still sparkle. Yeah. But you pin me down, Ethan. Well, it's the, the show's about the tough choices and <laughs> life is a life is a lot of tough choices, isn't it? Especially these days. <laughs> You're right. Well, now I get to turn it over to you. What would you like to plug? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I love people to um, to pick up my book, Postcards from Liverpool: Beatles Moments and Memories. Um, it its expanded version uh, has four additional chapters, uh, two dozen new photographs. Uh, so, you know, it went from about 150 pages to about 203 pages. So it's also in a smaller font. So they re, it's been reformatted. Uh, you know, the first, first when it first came out in 2017, that was kind of my first stab at, at um, uh, you know, really understanding how this whole business worked. And I think the font size was a little too big. So, uh, you know, it's in now it's in the normal font size that people read in, in any any book by any Beatles author. So, um, you know, the, the new chapters, uh, one is called uh, Toppermost of the Poppermost Almost. And it's the story of how Engelbert Humperdinck's uh, Release Me and Let Me Love Again, his single in 1967, kept the Beatles off of the uh, top spot for their, uh, uh, their, their double A-sided in a masterpiece, uh, Strawberry Fields and uh, and Penny Lane, and then there's another uh, chapter about my meetup with Pete Best in 2018 at the San Diego Beatles Fair, uh, and uh, that was a remarkable experience. And I, I talk about a lot of stuff in that in that chapter that I think people and I get some good pictures of Pete playing drums. What a great drummer he still is. Um, never the drummer that Ringo was, but um, uh, still he. Um, you know, that Adam beat that he created uh, certainly did power uh, the Beatles' uh, early um, early sound. And, um, you know, he was a Beatle for two years, and, and he played on the Decca demos and, and uh, the first version of Love Me Do before he got fired. So, I mean, uh, he's he certainly is a noteworthy part of the Beatles' history. So, Anyway, getting to meet him was just such a treat, and he's such a nice guy. You know, he he puts so much into his Liverpool cocktail, so many great stories, and you know, he's a funny guy, and and uh, he's got that Liverpoolian you know wit and uh, sense of sense of humor. So that's that's another chapter. Um, I went to the White Album uh, Symposium that you uh, called that. You know, they, <laughs> I don't know if you were, were you there, uh, Ethan, at the White Album Conference at Mammoth University? No, I was not there. Everyone I know keeps bringing up that damn symposium. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But anyway, I have a whole chapter in the book about it. And with some great pictures, I went a day early and I went to all Bruce Springsteen's haunts uh, down the Paramount Theater, the Wonder Bar down in Ashbury Park, which is only about you know, 20 minutes from Monmouth University. I'd never been there, and uh, boy, what a beautiful campus that is. Ken Womack, the great Beatles author, 
was such a, a fantastic host for that conference. There was a smorgasbord of wonderful Beatles events and symposiums, great music that played out over three days. Mark Lewison gave the keynote address, um, and uh, I talk about that in the book. And then the, the book ends with uh, an author's interview um, um, and also uh, a chapter called Here, There, and Everything Beatles, so kind of a, a riff off uh, that Capitol Records album um, with the same part of the same title in it. And it's really a look at kind of the Beatles fandom, um, you know, everything Beatles. It starts out with how to how to um, grade Beatles records, how to buy, you know, rare singles and albums and not get ripped off. And then it goes into, um, you know, looking at um, uh, Beatles media and Beatles authors and, you know, uh, all the great tribute bands that are out there, that most many of them that I've seen. Uh, then I end, end that chapter, another chapter with uh, in that section with uh, all the Beatles tours that, um, you know, both here in the States and um, internationally in Hamburg and in um, England that uh, people can uh, take advantage of when they travel. So, um, and I'm, we're all going to be able to travel. We're all going to go to Liverpool again. We're all going to go to Hamburg. We're all going to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We're, we're going to get out there again. This, this pandemic is not going to keep us Beatles fans from enjoying life. Yeah. It's, I, I, I hope life gets back to normal sooner rather than later. So we can, we can do that stuff all safely. I'll uh, me too. And says, yeah, and safely. Exactly. But that's what postcards from Liverpool is all about. It's a lot of fun. It's vignettes, it's backstories, it's interviews. I got a, some great pictures of Paul and Ringo and Patty Boyd and Denny Lane and, you know, um, uh, Peter Asher and uh, Nancy, Nancy Chevelle McCartney and um, uh, have a good interview with um, short, but a nice interview with James McCartney and some photographs of him. I saw him perform here in Santa Barbara um, when he came uh, and toured the States uh, on his first album called Me. And then he had Blackberry Train after that, which was another good album that James put out. So, um, you know, you know, I, I just hope that I can communicate the joy of the Beatles music in, in my writing, and and uh, I hope that everybody will enjoy it. And and now, Mark, where can people find this book of yours? Ah, they can find it on Amazon, of course. Everything's on Amazon. All uh, hail Jeff can, Bezos. If, yeah, hail Jeff Bezos. If you don't want to buy it on Amazon, which is the easiest way to get it here in the States, or probably in Canada, um, and... Uh, by the way, I want to shout out to, uh, uh, do, do you know Jerry, um, who wrote all the Beatles recording manuals, uh, Jamie, uh, Jerry Hammerack? Fellow, or he he's also uh, Canadian-based. He's from, he's from Toronto. You've got to get him on your show. Uh, he's a, he's a record, an analog, uh, analog uh, uh, recording engineer. And um, by, by the time yeah. this interview goes up, uh, the interview with Jerry will also be up. Ah, the good, good, outstanding. Yeah, he's right there in Toronto, and he'd—I'm sure he'd love to talk with you. He sat next to me um, and got to know him and his wife at one of the Beatles fests. So, um, yeah, postcards from Liverpool, uh, which is my book, um, is available on Amazon, any electronic retailer, um, or um, uh, your favorite bookstore. You can order it. And one last question, just in case the people haven't 
heard what what's the name of the book again <laughs> postcards from liverpool beatles moments and memories and now here here's the most challenging part of my show uh where i have to recite the the spiel at the end you know so if if you've enjoyed this if you're watching on youtube please hit that subscribe button hit that notification icon so you get notified every time one of these delicious episodes gets uploaded did I really just use the word delicious? Oh man, I, I might edit that out, but I might not. Um, if you're listening on uh, st- some streaming service, please rate us five stars, even if you don't like the episode. It massages my ego. Uh, but yeah, the episode's available to stream everywhere good podcasts and most bad podcasts can be heard. Like this one. No, I, I, I jest. But anyways, now that that's out of the way, Mark, I, I just want to give you a big thank you for coming on the show today. I really enjoyed talking with you, Ethan, and uh, I really wish you all the success you deserve. And uh, I hope that one of these days I'll be able to see you and meet you in person. Likewise. And, and to everyone else out there, thank you for listening. You can go home. Dance on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Phillips. This has been a Showtown production.